What good news is that? The tomb is still empty. And so if you're a person here this morning who is longing, looking for hope, look no further. The tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Christ is risen from the dead. My goodness. Feels good to be here together, doesn't it? What a great, great opportunity we have to come together and worship as a people. Today is all about celebrating the risen Lord Jesus. Life really is very much like a series of discoveries, one discovery after another. From the moment you are born to the moment you are laid to rest, we are constantly discovering things. Some small things and also some significant things, some things that dramatically impact your life. I could just name a few recent discoveries I've made. A dear friend, brother of mine, recently introduced me, helped me discover Chick-fil-A serves breakfast. Did you know this? Now, if you only frequent the Chick-fil-A at the Coral Ridge Mall, you have been, you have been led astray, all right? We have been to pray far too long. Chick-fil-A serves breakfast, and it's glorious. Not at the Coral Ridge Mall, because they only open at 10, but at all other locations, they serve. What a phenomenal discovery I recently made. Significant impact on my life. Another dear friend of mine, name not to be mentioned, recently introduced me to Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. Chicken tenders. I don't know if you've had it or not. Crispy and juicy, and the sauce is perfectly spicy and seasoned. It's really amazing. It's coming to Corville soon, okay? An amazing, amazing discovery. I promise you, I am not being dramatic. It has changed my life, all right? Not in a positive way, all right? Perhaps you've discovered recently a musician or an author, a book, a song. Maybe it's a shortcut in town that has changed your life. It's possible. We, as we live, we discover one thing after another. And those discoveries, some, some small and some dramatically very, very significant, impact the way that we live our life, the way that we spend our time, maybe the way that we spend our money, the things that we consume, the things that we pay attention to, the things that we talk about. This morning, we're here to talk about the most significant discovery in the history of the world. And this discovery is so significant that it has not just transformed, turned the world on its head. It also offers for us this very day, for you and for me, the possibility of new life. The hope and the promise that things don't have to remain as they are. This is the greatest discovery that the world has ever stumbled upon. And it's what we get to celebrate and rejoice in this morning. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, this is the type of discovery, the resurrection, the empty tomb, that, that Christ rose from the dead. This is the type of discovery that we don't just set aside one day of the year to celebrate and speak about. This is the foundation of who we are as a people. 
We are a resurrection people. We are a people who celebrate and experience new life. It's something we don't just talk about once a day. It's something that we ought to reflect on and celebrate every single day of our existence. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't identify as a Christian, today is a wonderful opportunity for you to just consider, just consider this story. It is absolutely remarkable. Now, my goal for this morning is simply twofold. It's simply this. First, let's consider the resurrection. Secondly, as we do that, let's think how it impacts and transforms our life. The text I'm gonna preach from this morning is found in Luke chapter 24. I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and take them out. The Gospel of Luke, it's found in the New Testament towards the back of your Bible. We as a church have been studying through the book of Acts. It was also written by the author Luke. And Luke is telling us the story of Jesus. He's a historian, he's a physician, he's an educated, respectable human being who has studied this story and is presenting to us this very morning evidence for us to consider. Luke 24, I'm gonna read for us verses one through 12. I'll pray and then we'll dive right in. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Church, let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word this morning, just as it is, I pray that you would take this holy word, Lord, and would you simply write it on our hearts? Would you help us to see Jesus this morning as he truly is the real risen Christ? Lord, through your word, would you show us your son, and help us to leave here changed as a result. We love you and we ask these things in your holy and precious name, amen. Now to sort of tell the story 
as Luke tells it in Luke 24. What I'd like to do is sort of attach ourselves to the characters that are present in this story and let them sort of see things as we consider the story, as we consider their experience and their responses to the resurrection. And hopefully, as we do that, will help us to consider likewise how we might think about the news of the resurrection and also respond to it. The first characters that we discover in this telling of the story is that of the women. We'll just call them for our sake this morning, seekers. These are women who are seeking something. We're told in the text in verse one that they are going to the tomb with spices that they have prepared. They're, they're going to the tomb to anoint the body, the dead body of their Lord, of their Savior, of their friend, Jesus. They're heading towards the tomb, seeking his body. They're looking, really, these women are looking for an opportunity. They have been through no shortage of trauma in the last couple of days. And for them, this is an opportunity to grieve the loss of this dear friend of theirs and also potentially bring some comfort to their soul as they do that. But on this first day of the week, these women would discover something altogether different than what they had set out to find, something that would not just personally transform them, but would also turn the world upside down. Now, as we just think about the characters in the stories, we think about these women, the, the women really in Luke's telling of the resurrection are sort of of central importance. Outside of Jesus, who doesn't make an actual appearance in our text, they are, you could say, the main characters of these 12 verses really sort of the primary subject. And it shouldn't be a shocker as we've been reading through the book of Acts that we see that, that as an author, Luke gives particular attention to the significance of women in this Jesus movement. He does so throughout his gospel. As we read through the book of Acts, we see that women play a critical role in the foundation of the church. So it shouldn't surprise us that as we come to our text this morning that they are the first characters that we are confronted with, faithful, seeking women. Upon arriving at the tomb, they found the stone had been rolled away. They were not expecting to find that. And as they looked in the tomb, they did not find the body that they were looking for, that they were seeking to find. And so their response, the text tells us in verse four, is they were perplexed at what they had discovered. They were completely and totally surprised, completely caught off guard. This is not the discovery they had anticipated on this day. Not expecting what they had found. One aspect of the story that, I mean, this is one aspect of the story that really speaks to the reliability of what is being told. Because like, if you're here this morning, this as we'll see, for some, this story seems unbelievable. But the fact that it's women who stumbled across this tomb is significant. Josephus, the early uh, historian, some couple hundred years after this, spoke when he wrote about his Jewish history and Jewish culture. He makes note that, that a, a woman in, in this culture at this time, a woman's 
testimony wasn't even admissible in the court of law. It wasn't even something that you would believe. They were not considered to be believable witnesses. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it was in this culture at this time. So you would suspect that based on a lack of respect that women had at this time, that if somebody were to to fabricate this story, certainly you wouldn't hang the, the majority of the evidence on the shoulders of women. You would have written probably men into the story at that time, more than likely even prominent, significant men who were of high prestige. But no, here we discover that it's women who first discovered that the tomb was empty. Now this is, to be sure, consistent with how God works. If you're familiar with the Bible, if you've read much of the Bible, you will see that this is, shouldn't be a shocker to you. He delights, God does, in doing things in such a way that make it very clear that it's him who is doing things. It's him who is at work. So as we read through the Bible, we see slaves are freed and the lost are found and the weak are made strong. A virgin bears the Christ child. God delights in exalting the humble. And he doesn't do things necessarily the way you and I would do things. As they get to the tomb, they are greeted by the angels. We know in verse 23 that these are referred to as angels. These are angels who they see. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And these angels, it's very important, they they provide an explanation for what the women have stumbled across. It's important for us that this, I mean, just as we see this, to remember that God's works without his words can unsettle us but not necessarily enlighten us. So had the woman stumbled across this scene without a word from God explaining and interpreting what was going on, they would, in some measure, be left to draw their own conclusions. But God's word accompanies his works so that we can properly interpret what it is that has been done. And that's precisely what God is doing here. And this is exactly how he works throughout history. And these, these women, they asked these women really a remarkable question. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember, these women, I said before, they are seekers. They are seeking the body of Jesus. And the question that the angels asked these women, why are you seeking the living among the dead? That phrase, that phrase, accusation, if you will, is really a helpful picture of our own lives, a picture of how some of us may describe our life, seeking, seeking for life, for meaning, for comfort, for significance, for satisfaction, where it cannot be found. We are not, be sure of it, unlike the women on this morning. Often go looking for the living, for something to help us make sense of the world around us. But oftentimes, like them, we go looking for it in dead places, in a cemetery. A place 
that cannot promise the satisfaction that we hope for and long for. Christ is risen. The life that they want is not among the dead. It's no longer in the tomb. They are seeking for something, but in the wrong place. The angels say, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, uh, rise? These angels pointed the women back to the words that Jesus had spoken to them while he lived among them. Words that he had intentionally taught them and spoken about himself and about the cross that was gonna come and about how in three days he would rise from the dead. And you could almost, as these words, do you remember what he spoke to you? You could almost see their minds turning as they begin to connect the dots. Again, this, this points to the reliability of this. These women were not expecting this. They were totally caught off guard. They were seeking something. They found something, they discovered something altogether different. The reality and promise of resurrection life. Now the next characters that we see are the disciples. The disciples, after the women discover this, they go and they tell their friends, the apostles, we'll call them skeptics. So first characters in the story are seekers, the next ones are skeptics. We see this in eight, the second half of verse eight through 11. Following the report from the angelic figures in total amazement, the women rush back to tell their closest friends. These women become the first witnesses and proclaimers of the resurrection on this day. And we're, we're told that the disciples, however, had a different reaction to the news that the women told. It says they believed it to be an idle tale. As the women reported what they had heard, what they had seen, what they encountered and experienced, they come back and they tell their friends, and their friends consider it an idle tale. And the text says, and they did not believe them. They were skeptical. This word for an idle tale, it's, it could be translated in some versions, nonsense. It would have been in Luke's vernacular, a medical term that would have been used in, uh, to describe somebody who was delirious. And so these disciples hear the, heard the report and their first thought was, y'all are crazy, all right? You must be tripping, because that didn't happen. Dead people, we've seen a few of them in our days, and they don't come back to life, especially the type who are brutally murdered by the Roman Empire. They don't come back to life. They saw Jesus's mangled body, and I don't want to just totally just, you know, brush off the disciples. They had legitimate concerns. They, once again, were not expecting this report. Even though they heard the words of Jesus, that he would be crucified and raised from the dead, they didn't believe him. And now they don't believe the women. A complete lack of expectation. They had zero expectation for the immediate bodily resurrection to take place. The disciples were not sitting around planning, scheming, coming up with some way to make it look like Jesus rose from the dead. They were not expecting that to happen. Again, this suggests, this points to, our, to the reliability of Luke's telling, the reality of the resurrection. 
Think about it. By the time that this book would be published, that this letter would be published and circulated to be read by others, these people, these disciples, were the storied leaders of the church. The giants of the faith, known to be uniquely blessed by having spent time with Jesus himself. And so for them, for these disciples, to be cast in a way that made them look foolish? Quite frankly, the only reason why you would put that in there is if it actually happened. The disciples, upon hearing the news of the resurrection, my guess is we're not too much unlike some of us in the room right now. Hearing the exact same news and responding in a very similar way. Certainly, if you're here this morning and you have questions, you have doubts, you would consider yourself skeptical of the resurrection, you would find yourself in excellent company. The founders of the church some 2,000 years ago were sitting in exactly the same place that you are this morning, skeptical disbelieving, hearing the news, hearing the reports from people they trusted and knowed, and dismissing the news. Isn't it something to think about? The church was built through the power of the Spirit through weak, dismissing, skeptical people, disbelieving people. All the more evidence to prove that the church of Jesus Christ has gone forth over the last 2,000 years by the power of the spirit of the risen Christ. Not because these guys have their act together. Not because they figured it all out, because they were quick to say, ah, yes, we've been expecting that. Let's go. Rather, quietly dismissing it and walking away. If you find yourself here this morning, you're skeptical of this, you are in good company. You're in good company. Founders of our faith were too. Now the final individual that we see in the text this morning is really a remarkable man. And his response is really remarkable. And very, if you know his story, very understandable. Last character in the story is that of Peter. First characters were seekers. Next characters that we see were skeptics. I would put Peter in the category of a sinner and a sufferer. And listen to how he responds, verse 12. Upon hearing the same news, he's there with the disciples when the women are giving the report. And his response is completely different. It says in verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. While the other disciples treated the news like nonsense and were dismissive towards it, Peter's response looks more like desperation. His reaction, it seems as if he is desperate for this news to be true. 
immediately gets up from his place, dashes towards the tomb, looks in. You could almost, with every step that he takes from where he's sitting to the cemetery, see hope building with each step along the way. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? Stooping in to examine the report himself. A totally, totally different response. And again, we would, if you're familiar with Peter's story, you could understand why he would respond differently. First of all, we know Peter was uniquely close to Jesus. He was uniquely close. Formerly a fisherman who dropped everything that he had to follow Jesus, would spend the last three years with Jesus, watching Jesus, learning from Jesus. He would eat meals with Jesus, listen to his teachings. He would watch as Jesus captivated the crowds with his amazing teaching and his works of wonder. But more than that, Peter would be one of the few who would get sort of special access there on the Mount of the Transfiguration, see Jesus in his full splendor and glory, be able to see Jesus as he really is, one of the three who were able to do that. Shortly before his death, Jesus would select Peter to go into the garden, and he would say, watch and pray here. Peter was one of the few who got to go there with him. We see that Peter's relationship, his closeness to Jesus was unusual. It was unique. Jesus was special to Peter. But that's not the only part of his story that's important. He wasn't just unique in his relationship. Peter also uniquely failed Jesus and did so in pretty remarkable fashion. As Jesus prepares his disciples for the inevitability of his coming death and resurrection, Peter's the one who says, never, not on my watch. And Jesus, you know, just calls him Satan. <laughs> not a small thing. Jesus calling you Satan. Get behind me, Satan. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he tells him to, Jesus says, stay here and pray, and goes further into the garden. When he comes back, not once, but twice, what does he find Peter doing? Sleeping. In Jesus' darkest hour, the man is sweating blood. And his friend, who he gives inner access to, is take getting a tight, tight 10 minutes in, sleeping on him. And then, of course, the denial of Jesus. Three times, I don't know him. He's not with me. I've never heard that man. Three times as Jesus is facing death. Jesus ends up dying and suffering completely alone because this really close friend says, I got nothing to do with him. Now, you can imagine Peter watching from a distance as his friend, who he just failed over and over and over again, goes to the cross, is completely humiliated. You can just imagine what's going on inside of Peter. Peter feels like a total failure. He's a sinner who's dropped the ball over and over and over again. And that sin has caused within him a degree of suffering where he's probably wondering, is there any way out of this? Peter is desperate for this news to be true. And maybe you can relate. Perhaps you're here this morning thinking, like Peter on that morning, 
that you have completely dropped the ball. Maybe as you look back at your life, maybe it's this week or years leading up to this day, thinking to yourself, how could I have messed up like that? How could I have said that thing? How could I have done that? How could I have broken that relationship? How could I have acted like that? Maybe this morning your sin is like Peter's was on that day, staring you in the face. And not unlike Peter, you too have a sense of desperation. This can't be as good as it gets. Maybe you can relate to Peter. Maybe you're done struggling with your sin, that repeated one that manifests itself day after day after day, and you're looking for a way out. Well, my exhortation, my encouragement to you this morning is to be like Peter. Don't be like the other disciples who dismissed it immediately. If your sin is in front of you this morning, it is out of desperation that every single one of us run to Jesus. In fact, it's the desperation of our sin and our suffering and the darkness that we feel closing in around us that should cause us to run like Peter did on that day to discover, to see, is this true? The good news for us this morning, church, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it offers for seekers what you have been looking for. For skeptics, do you know what the resurrection says? Come and look, discover, consider the evidence for yourself and for sinners and sufferers. This isn't as good as it gets. Your life the reality of the resurrection provides hope and meaning and promise, not just in this life, but in the one to come. It promises to give you far greater than what you are looking for. The reality of the resurrection is for us, not just something we consider and think about. It is something that has the promise and the power to transform our very lives. Now, this morning, we get to show you what that looks like. We've seen it from Peter, and what we'll see is we'll learn through, as you see throughout the book of Acts, Peter's life is dramatically transformed. He's restored by Jesus. Later on, we learn that, John, that in the Gospel of John, Jesus comes to him, restores his ministry, sends him out to love and to feed his sheep, and that he is the rock upon which Jesus builds his church. This isn't the end of the story for Peter. In many ways, it's the beginning. We're gonna do it for the next few minutes is we're gonna consider somebody in our own midst, a person who attends Parkview East here, and can let them tell their story of encountering, discovering this Jesus, and share a little bit about how he has transformed their life as well. So, there's a video. You can watch that for a few minutes. Praise God for new life. 
Praise God that um, he came into Sarah's life and transformed her. And if you know her and you've been around here much, you know that um, not unlike Peter, that he has used her in so many different ways um, to encourage her transformation story is leading to, mul it's multiplying and it's doing, this, doing so among us. And so we, we give praise and glory to God for that. Um, before I close and before we turn back to song, whoop, hey, are you guys doing up there? Okay. I have a verse uh, I just wanted to share. So today's all about the resurrection and just kind of closing in Peter. These, I just wanted to look at some words from Peter um, that he wrote, and hopefully it'll be a good way to sort of close. It says this, blessed be, make sure we're reading the same. Nope, okay. Praise be there, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. As we consider Peter's words here, we see that re the reality of the resurrection, it offers, as we saw testified in Sarah's life, the opportunity for us to be born again, to experience newness of life. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. He, he displayed tremendous power and might, conquering death. But then he also offers that, ex that exact same ability to you and to me. Before he would go to the cross, Jesus would say these words. He would say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. While the gates of death closed in around Jesus, it's just a command he gave that flung them open, caused him to come back from the dead where he will live eternally, and he wants to do so with you and me. He offers us a living hope, a hope that helps us make sense of this world, and it gives us the promise and possibility of another one that will never end, where there will be no tears, no pain, no sin or suffering. You won't be seeking or skeptical of anything anymore, but with Jesus forever kept in heaven for us. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And all of this, he tells us, Peter says, is according to his great mercy. The promise, the gift of salvation, the promise of new life, the fact that it doesn't have to always be like this. That hope is one that is the result of his mercy, not your works, not mine, not our ability to get it together or pull ourselves up, but simply to throw ourselves down into the arms of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you've given us, all that you've done for us. We thank you for the reality and the power of the resurrection, and it's, it's a power that you like to share, and I pray that we would be a people who would receive it and walk in it. Lord, um, we love you, and we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.